Welcome to the InViowa podcast, a podcast produced by the Center for Global and Regional Environmental Research at the University of Iowa. Each month we discuss environmental research, news, and initiatives that matter to Iowans. Today I'll be speaking with Jeff Biggers, an author and a writer in residence at the University of Iowa. We'll also be speaking with Natalie Hemmel, a senior here at the University of Iowa, majoring in English and International Studies. I'll be talking with them today about the Climate Narrative Project, an initiative designed to explore solutions to today's climate problems through an artistic lens. All right, Jeff, could you start off just by telling me a little bit about yourself and what you do here at the University of Iowa in the Office of Sustainability? Sure. My name is Jeff Biggers, and I'm the writer-in-residence in the Office of Sustainability. I'm an author, I'm a journalist, a historian, a playwright, and worked for many years in the fields of sustainability and environmental writing. And after many years, uh, when I got here in Iowa City, I had many conversations with the university and and various people here in the Office of Sustainability, and and I felt like we needed to work with a new generation to become better climate storytellers. I think one of the great crises we have over climate change is just an issue of communication. We just uh, haven't been very effective in telling our story. And this is someone who has written hundreds of stories and hundreds of articles and spent years interviewing people, and specifically in the energy and environmental areas. Uh, I've written a couple books about the coal industry, and I come from a coal mining background. And I just ultimately said, hey, we've got to come up with new narratives to engage more people, specifically on campus and in the community. And what better place than the University of Iowa in this city of literature to use our legacy as writers, as storytellers, to apply that legacy to not just be the city of literature, but to become the city of climate action through storytelling. And of course, by storytelling, I don't mean just creative writing, which of course is my background, but I've also worked a lot in film. I've worked a lot in theater. I've worked uh, with dance troops. I've worked with um, radio podcast. Uh, we've worked with all sorts of ways to tell that story, even visual arts. And so that's what we're kind of have brought to this project is kind of a, a very broad scope to what the arts can be, what storytelling can be, what ultimately um, uh, sustainability is about, and in the most effective way we can tell that story to actually get people to go out and do something. What do you think it is about Iowa City in particular that makes it uh, such a good city to kind of innovate this talk about climate? Right. Well, the, the wonderful thing is the University of Iowa is really in the forefront in many areas of sustainability. We have really one of the best energy conservation programs uh, on campus. You have uh, this new biomass program, which we've been working on for many years to replace the coal fire plant. And what's, I think, very important to point out in that program is not simply the replacement of coal, but the use of year-round crops for soil carbon sequestration, which is another area we really haven't talked too much. Um, You know, Iowa City, of course, is the city of literature. And so once again, we have this legacy of storytellers in many respects. And so I think we're open to seeing artists and writers uh, play a role in the community. Um, I think for a lot of people, you think, oh, we should leave urban planning to the urban planners. We should leave science to the scientists. We should leave engineering to the engineers. And what I've done is to bring scientists and engineers and urban planners and farmers and psychologists and pre-med and athletes and artists all into the same room and to try to give them the kind of tools of the arts to tell a better story back in their departments. So from what I've read about the project, each semester is kind of centered around a theme. How do you, what's the kind of process of selecting that theme each semester? 
Well, we, um, it's very open. We, we started, we felt like we had to begin with a sense of place, that uh, one of the most important targets in talking about climate change and sustainability is to localize it. And so what better way to localize uh, the climate than to talk about the river? So our first semester looked at water and the Iowa River, because obviously the Iowa River has been the messenger of extreme weather for us, of course, referring to the flood in 2008, which wiped out a, a good part of the campus. And so we first started with the river, and then we moved from the river to soil and soil carbon sequestration and soil management. And of course, we're here in the heartland with the great prairies. And of course, uh, at the same time, we're, we're living in the most altered state in the union where 99% of our prairies have been eliminated. And so we talk about what is the role of a prairie uh, restoration in climate and soil. And then from that, we went to food and farming. Once again, following kind of a natural progression of how we can thematically tell the best climate story. So we've gone from the river to the soil, to farming and food, to talking about uh, our city as a regenerative city. Uh, we've had kind of an open umbrella where students one semester wanted to talk about climate justice. And we actually expanded that into two semesters because there was so much interest in looking at more of the in intersection between social justice and climate change. Um, and then we've also looked at climate migration uh, and that's very much reflected into the changing status of so many migrants who are coming now, both on campus and in the community, from countries that have been affected by climate change. So each semester, we kind of pick a theme which we feel is, is most relevant that also builds on the past themes. Okay. And uh, a big part of what we do, too, is we maintain an archive of all of our research. So now, four years into this, or almost four years, or into our fourth year, we have a lot of archival research from these different elements that we then apply to what we're doing. So this semester, we're looking at what we call the regenerative city. And this is kind of a, a new concept and a new way of looking at sustainability, because as we all know, nothing is sustainable. You know, and we really need to begin to look at the role of words. You're a journalist and wordsmith. And so the idea is how do we begin to see urban planning and campus planning not as, okay, let's do something that's less bad. I'll recycle my cup instead of throw it away but how can we begin the process to actually do something that enhances and restores our environment, to actually do something that is better? And so we be, begin to look at something that's more of a circular aspect, uh, like a circular metabolism instead of something linear. Instead of saying, okay, I need this cup, I import it, and then I throw it out, how do we begin to see our resources as something that we both can use and restore and replenish? And so we're looking at regenerative ways and regenerative solutions to plan our city and campus in an age of climate change. So within that discussion, what have been some of the ideas that have come up? Well, this semester has been very interesting because we have uh, a really nice array of fellows. Uh, we go through a selection process where we try to pick someone from many different uh, faculties and, and departments and colleges. And in fact, I think we've actually, in these uh, nearly four years, have actually uh, worked with every single college wow. on campus. And that's been a, a real mission of ours, that we didn't want it to only be the creative writers. We didn't want it to only be the theater people. We didn't want it to only be the environmental science students. And we didn't want it to only be the student gardeners, you know, who we work with very closely. We wanted to take someone here, someone there. We wanted a scientist. We wanted an engineer. So this semester, we have someone in international relations. We have someone in marketing. We have a graphic artist. We have a hydrologist. We have an environmental scientist. We have someone who uh, is the head of the uh, Iowa, uh, University of Iowa breakdancers. Um, we have someone who's in filmmaking. And it's, it's just a broad array of people. 
Uh, part of that mission, too, is to really make sure our program reflects the diversity of the campus. Yeah, um, and this all is part of our regenerative city, that you can't talk about a sustainability program or any program on campus if you don't reflect the diversity of the, of the, of the campus uh, students. And so we really work with uh, people who have come from other countries. Many of our fellows have come from countries like Colombia, from, from Mexico, from the Sudan. Uh, this semester, we have a student from Bolivia and a student who's an immigrant from Poland. Uh, we have a student who's from the Meskwaki Nation and the Meskwaki Settlement. Uh, we have a student who's the son of uh, Vietnamese immigrants. Um, and we have students who come from all across both uh, Iowa and the, and the Midwest. So the idea, once again, too, is to really reflect our experience. So within the regenerative city, how do we begin to look past this idea that we have to have a linear relationship? You know, right now, Think about it, Jake. We import 92% of our food in Iowa. And think about it. You come from a rural area, and yet we import all this food here in the heartland. And, of course, we don't really produce food in Iowa. We produce commodities, both corn and beans. And so we begin to say, how can we think about that in a different way? How do we look at the local food movement as a way of something that can be circular, that can be developed, both through long-term, uh, year-round farming, uh, through hoop houses, uh, both through ways that you have... Uh, 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 circular uh, farms outside the city, land that's been dedicated. We look at prototypes like Adelaide, Australia, like Freiburg in Germany. We even look at places like Chicago that has 800 community gardens. Uh, so we look at food, and then we shift from food. We look at our electricity sources. And once again, we rely entirely on the grid, of which 60% comes from uh, coal. And so the idea is, how do we look beyond that to more of a decentralized source of, of electricity and, and look at some of the smaller towns? We have 136 municipal utilities in Iowa, many of which now are, are moving very quickly toward renewable energy. And of course, the beautiful thing about living in Iowa is already we're getting close to 35% of our electricity from wind, and that soon will be 40, and the projections are, you know, within a few years, we'll be getting 80% from wind. But the idea is, how do we see that in more of a decentralized space? And so we've looked at prototypes of other communities, like in Copenhagen and other parts of the, the world, that are much more advanced in terms of renewable energy. Then we look at our ways of transportation. You know, why is it that less than 20% of Iowans actually use public transport or bike or walk? The majority of the people get in a car to go somewhere in a small town like Iowa City. You know, and the idea is, how do we begin to transition and plan for a circular city that doesn't need petrol-based uh, a means of transportation. And so we've walked through all these different things. We've looked at our water sources. We've looked at um, uh, elements in living and energy efficiency and density and urban planning. We've talked about uh, willingness to move into eco-districts. Uh, we've really kind of fantasized and envisioned of what would a regenerative city look like in, in Iowa City 20, 30, 40 years from now. And more realistically, how would we begin the steps in that direction? Um, and, and this, to me, is a very exciting thing because, you know, Jake, a very important thing of what we do at the Climate Narrative Project is it, it's not theory, and it's not kind of just uh, an environmental wish list. We're trying to effectively look at ways not only to tell a better story, but to tell a feasible story in ways we can get there. At the end of the day, what we want to do is inform people to make a wise decision and to galvanize action to actually go out and do something. And I think that's what we've been doing in the regenerative city is not to sit down and fantasize what would be the perfect utopian eco city, but to say specifically in an age of climate change, when we're ultimately have very few years left in terms of dealing with the realities of extreme weather, how do we begin to create and, and, and transition and envision a different way of living that's very feasible and how can we lay out a roadmap to get there?
You talked a little bit about uh, the importance of kind of having people from different backgrounds within the project. Um, could you talk a little about kind of the importance of having an artistic approach to scientific problems and what the value in that is? Yeah. You know, we have so much science on our campus. You know, we're a great research institution here. Uh, but what I found as a journalist is uh, every day I get emails and phone calls of the next great report on whatever issue. And it has less than a 24-hour news cycle. You know, either we write a quick story about it, we give it 700 words, and then it's filed and it's gone. Or it goes into some peer-reviewed academic journal where some poor scientist has spent, you know, five years of their life completely neglecting their children and missing every spring break and summer to write this amazing report, and nobody reads it. And so our idea is how do we take that amazing research and through various means of, of the arts and storytelling, mm -hmm. get that research into a broader audience. Give it a longer shelf life. Get it beyond just a 24-hour news cycle, or worse, even yet, a, a headline. Now, this is our problem right now. Seven out of 10 people never, ever talk about climate change. And of course, you know that from the Yale Climate Connections. And the Climate Narrative Project here on campus actually is the, the only uh, Big Ten partner with, with the Yale Climate Connections. We work with them on their nationally syndicated uh, uh, public radio program called Climate Connections. And that was one of these stunning parts about their research is to say, ultimately, people are not talking about climate change. Well, why? Well, there's an incredible cynicism. There's an incredible sense of despair. There's an incredible sense of disenfranchisement, incredible sense that I can't do anything about it. You know, And so our idea is how do we take these scientists and engineers who have these great ideas and show them the ways to tell their story in a way that might be even more effective to get their research out. So let me give you some examples. We had an incredible woman who was an agronomist, very serious agronomist, and she really wanted to talk about the impact of nitrates on uh, water, water quality, which obviously is a super hot issue yeah. in Iowa right now. And she, we went through, and, and what I do each, each week is I introduce a, a topic in our theme, and then I introduce uh, an arts medium. So I might introduce the topic of water quality, and then I would work with them, and I'd bring in someone from the dance department. And then I would introduce another theme, and I'd bring in someone from the theater department. And I would introduce another theme, and we might bring in someone who's a spoken word poet. And then we introduce another theme, and we bring in some examples of sculpture and visual arts. And we bring in another theme, and we bring in someone who might be a children's books writer. And so the idea is each week, you're not only getting information that helps inform your project as part of your theme, but each week you're also learning about a different art form that you can use. Well, this agronomist couldn't wrap her head about it. She wanted to write a paper. And at the worst, she said, no, I'll do a PowerPoint. And we have two rules in the Climate Narrative Project. One is that you can't write a paper, a term paper. And the second rule is we can't do a PowerPoint. We right. think bad PowerPoints are really the, the cause of the decline of Western civilization. <laughs> that they're incredibly boring, that no one pays attention, that this has paralyzed us. So how do we get beyond these silly PowerPoints? And so we worked with her, and one day she went and saw a theater with some friends, and it just was riveting for her. And so she came back and she said, I know what I'm gonna do, but I need some actors. And so we worked with her, and she ended up writing what she called the nitrate monologues, which was based on the vagina monologues, which wow. was this incredible uh, program, of course, we do every year in the, in the women's department on gender and sexuality. But she took the same concept of people confessing about their lives, talking about very personal things. And so she went and she interviewed six farmers, three organic and three conventional, to talk about when was the first time you used nitrates? When was the first time you used chemicals and fertilizer? 
And, and, and it became this very personal experience. And then from that research, we adapted to a series of monologues that we staged with University of Iowa uh, students as actors. And it was incredible because we were laughing, we were learning, and here was this agronomist who was able to tell her story in a much more effective way. And it really changed the way she saw things. She went on to get a master's in urban planning, and it very much affected the way she did things. We've had other people. For example, I had this student who was a PhD in chemistry, you know, kind of the smartest guy on campus. He ter terrorized me every time I'd speak because you know he always knows more than I would know. This brilliant genius scientist. And we really challenged him to get beyond sort of what he was used to do, which is once again filing data and research. And he ended up writing this amazing children's book explaining what happened to the prairies and how we can begin the process of restoring the prairies and why it was important. And, this, and we had never seen anything quite like it. He went and he went to the schools. He worked with experts. He worked with conservationists. He went and hung out with children to really understand what, how can, can I, as a great you know, chemist, actually tell the story in a, in a, in a better, effective uh, realm. And so that's the kind of stuff we really have appreciated to see is that, you know, once again, engineers, scientists, people from all the departments using a different medium to tell their story. You even had a student who did a yoga demonstration to talk about deforestation. Uh, we've had uh, an incredible student in marketing who choreographed a dance and brought in uh, University of Iowa dancers who choreographed this beautiful dance looking at the clash between processed and unprocessed food. Yeah, that's amazing. Even uh, without seeing the presentations, you can see how they would be more accessible and uh, digestible to people. So. Yeah, and fun. You know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's another rule in the Climate Narrative Project is that we laugh a lot. And uh, we meet once a week for very long workshops. And typically, they're supposed to only be a couple hours, but they go on all night because we have food, we have drink, we laugh. You know, the idea is we have to bring a sense of levity into what is an incredibly serious and desperate issue here. Definitely. And I think that's kind of thing we need to get over with is how do we grapple with very serious issues and serious challenges in a way that you don't mope out of the room, you know. And sometimes it's hard. When we're talking about uh, climate migration, we had one student go interview Syrian refugees. And she really wanted to show how the war in Syria is very much connected to years of drought and displacement and how the issues of climate wars are really beginning to you know, connect with global uh, warming. And it was a, a heartbreaking uh, project. Um, and so the idea was to work with her to once again tell the story that was very, very serious, really dealt with a lot of issues of, of death and, and suffering in a way that we can really understand it and act on it, not just be demoralized by it. So how has the Climate Narrative Project uh, evolved since it began? You kind of talked about how the content changes from semester to semester, but has there has it evolved in any other way structurally at all? Well, we, we started small. Obviously, it was a pilot project. Mm -hmm. We started just with three fellows, and then we went up to four fellows, then six, then eight, and now we're dealing with eight per semester, and we have a very long waiting list of people who want to get involved in it. And, and once again, it's... Um, Something that we've done uh, and we've grown naturally, incrementally, we've tried to be very careful um, that each student gets a lot of attention. Uh, I spend a lot of work uh, and a lot of hours every week working one-on-one -on -one with students. Uh, at the, the students are required not only to go through the workshops and do the training, but at the end of the semester have a major project. And that project often is part of their portfolio that they use for graduate school or for to get published in national venues or to to screen if it's a film. We had one woman who made a really beautiful film that was screened in New York City at a, an environmental film festival. 
We've had uh, many plays that are now used in the communities. Um, and so that final project is also is very important. And of course, one of the main goals too is that you know my fellows at the end of the semester have these tools that then they can take with them when they go back to the department or off to their career, whatever they're gonna do. Uh, we had one young woman who was a great uh, student in marketing who ended up after she graduated, uh, she took a year off to make a film on regenerative agriculture oh. and she traveled the world doing uh, different films. Um, and another thing that too, I think that's very important is the end result um, in the community. Uh, every student is required to get outside the classroom and interview three to four people in the community. Uh, my training actually is not as a journalist. Uh, I was trained as an oral historian. And so I find that is uh, an even more challenging strategy to try to teach people. I, I work with people on oral history and interviewing is how you have to spend hours with people to really get the story as opposed to a soundbite as, as, as I would as a journalist. And so everybody is required to go out and interview three to four people who serve as the informants to actually create their project. Uh, this young uh, person we had um, who actually went on to become um, one of your colleagues at Seeger she really wanted to put together immigration and climate. And so she began to see the food system as a place that really impacts a, a lot of immigrants here in Iowa. Many immigrants are coming, in fact, from agricultural countries like Sudan and Mexico. And so she went to Des Moines. She looked at Global Greens, which was a, a nonprofit that actually found space for immigrants to grow their own food. Um, once again, the role of the local food, reducing our carbon footprint, working on soil carbon sequestration. And she did this beautiful project, how wouldn't this be an interesting idea with the immigrant population we have here in Iowa City? She did a project, we sent it out, people are interested. But the most beautiful thing is, a year and a half later, another climate narrative fellow who was from the Sudan heard her project and was completely inspired by it. He ended up having meetings with the county. And just this uh, year, he launched the Iowa Valley Global Food Project, where the Johnson County has given them land to grow... Uh, uh, 3.7 acres to grow their own community gardens that will mainly be dealing with the immigrant communities and largely with the Sudanese and Congolese and Mexican communities. And this to me was an incredible uh, byproduct of Jenna Ladd's original radio podcast was giving vision, giving the story, ultimately as a seed, putting out that story, hopefully with the idea we can galvanize action. And lo and behold, someone comes along, gets that story and puts it into place. And we literally will see the harvest come this, this fall. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I didn't know about that. What advice would you give to people who kind of want to have an impact on climate narrative but that aren't involved in the project? All right. Well, once again, how do we engage people just to pay attention? You know, we start the semester by saying, what's your connection? And we ask questions I think we should ask every freshman at the University of Iowa. Hey, Jake, where does your electricity come from? Where does your water come from? How did you get to campus? How do you get around campus? Where does your dinner coming from? You know, and so you break down every step of your life, which is the best way to localize an issue. And you begin to say, wow, I, I do have this incredible impact. I'm making decisions. And I'm not just sleepwalking through, through life, but I'm actually making decisions that have a profound impact on not only the environment, but on my future. And so I think that's the way we can begin is literally by asking questions of the world around you. And then from there, well, how, if you're if we're relying on something that has a huge carbon footprint or some kind of environmental ruin, how do we begin to make a different decision? How do we inform ourselves that there might be another option? 
and and what could be the benefit you know i think that's what i've seen in so many different places when we're looking at regenerative cities is that adelaide australia a city of a million people made this incredible commitment to going to renewable energy to 40 percent of their food being local to diverting 80 percent of their waste into compost to uh you know setting up you know completely 100 percent solar solar districts they have their own the first the world's first solar bus and their economy boomed right. and so it kind of debunk this idea that somehow going in a green direction is anti-growth. Yeah. Their economy grew by 28% as they cut their carbon emissions by 27%. And so once again, I think this is the kind of stories that we need, success stories, local stories, entrepreneur stories, but we have to begin the process of simply just getting people to engage and talk about, talk about their daily life. Do you think artistic approaches like this are undervalued in today's political climate? I think they're undervalued when we uh, talk about them in an academic fashion. But in daily life, everybody's looking at Facebook at what? Media and the arts. And it may be awful, but that's what we're looking at. We're looking at film clips. We're looking at funny cartoons. We're looking at funny stories. We're looking at the headlines. Um, We're looking at music. You know, we're looking at ultimately theater. You know, we're looking at visual arts. We're seeing sculptures every day in public art. And so I, I think if we begin to see that art is not something that's in a museum, art is not something that's only for a handful of people on stage, art is not something that you can only find at Prairie Lights, but art is everywhere, then I think we can begin to demystify art and realize it's about communication. You know, I come from Southern Illinois in the coal fields. My family were coal miners. And we ultimately pay the ultimate price for the electricity that you and I are using tonight, today to make this interview. That 60% of our electricity comes from coal. And so every time we turn on your computer, turn on this microphone, every time someone turns on their lights, I see a different image. I see my 200-year-old family farm got blown up for a strip mine. I see my grandfather and, and uncles who suffered with black lung disease. I see my community completely left in devastated ruins, you know, where we have a 40% unemployment and entrenched poverty. And I see this most beautiful deciduous forest that's been destroyed that we used to understand. And so how do I tell that story? It's, well, it's not being an artist, but it's telling these stories that show the impact that our way of life has had on people like me. And ultimately, it's going to have an impact on all of us in the future because of climate change. And so I call that art. I call that storytelling. I call that narrative. That's why we call it the Climate Narrative Project, uh, because we feel like it's the narrative, the framing of the issue that ultimately is going to change people. So if anyone was interested in participating or just uh, seeing the projects that take place, how would they go about doing that? They they should just contact me at the Office of Sustainability. Uh, Next semester, I think we're going to focus on uh, actually on creative writing. Because what we haven't done very much in all these uh, semesters is to look at fiction and poetry. And so we've kind of focused on everything else but. And so I thought, you know what? I think we might do something special and actually put aside a lot of the film and the theater and visual arts and dance and actually try to work hard to come up with uh, fiction and perhaps uh, creative nonfiction and poetry and perhaps some plays to really look at uh, some climate change issues. You know, I I think, Jake, what's important to me is that sustainability, I I think, is the most important issue your generation's facing. And so how can you get through your university training without understanding the systems that we live in? I I think that has to be a major question we have on campus, that every student who graduates has to understand how the ecosystem works, 
how our environment works, how our urban planning works. Uh, because you're walking into in a completely different world than what I had when I was your age, you know, many years ago. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here is to say what the climate narrative project does. It's not a sustainability thing. It's not an arts thing. It's something that's for every different college, every different department on campus that needs to have these same tools, that we're trying to work with everybody across the campus on an issue that affects us all and actually reframe the entire conversation, not as just something down here, item number 24, sustainability, right. but reframe it as this is a, a cultural way, this is a, a systems approach, this is a, a solutions-based approach to how we can move forward in the future in a much more positive and, and restorative way. Um, and so I think that's ultimately what we're kind of doing. Great, I think that answers all the questions that I had. Is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you would want to include? Well, the, the last thing I would include is the um, one thing I, I hear a, lo a lot back from the students about kind of what they get out of the experience. Um, a lot of our students have gone on to very interesting things. Uh, our climate narrative students, we have, of course, Jeffrey Ding is a Rhodes Scholar right now in Oxford, and he had an incredible experience. He had never gotten his shoes muddy before, and he ended up interviewing farmers and, and looking at the role of soil carbon sequestration. We've had students who go have gone on to grad school, uh, who've gone on to law school, who've won scholarships across the country. We've had students, uh, once again, who've, who've done like this uh, Iowa Valley uh, Global Food Project, and students who've now become part of national organizations. Uh, a lot of them say, hey, one of the things that touched them the most was our major emphasis on public speaking. Uh, something uh, that I'm very attached to is that we also have to become better communicators just verbally. Yeah. And so everybody, when we speak every week, we don't just sit around a table and chit chat, but we all stand and actually have to stand and deliver what we're talking about uh, through public uh, speaking strategies. We often put people in all different corners of the room to, to address as if they were speaking to 200 people. And we, last week we had people standing on the table trying to, as if they were addressing a loud, raucous crowd that wasn't paying attention. And so that kind of public speaking training to me is indispensable because along with all these great ideas and along with all these great arts mediums, if we simply can't communicate in a way that's intelligible, informative, funny, interesting, then we're simply not going to progress. We've got to become better communicators and speakers. And so public speaking is also something I think is very undervalued that we have to reclaim and make sure that everybody in the university, but people who go through our program, go through that kind of rigorous public speaking training. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you very much. I think that covers it. Great. Thanks I for appreciate having, it. Thanks for having me. Okay, Natalie, to start off, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do here at the University of Iowa? Yeah. Um, so my name is Natalie, and I'm a senior at the University of Iowa. I'm studying English and International Studies with an emphasis in global resources and the environment. Very cool. So could you tell me a little bit about the Climate Narrative Project and how you got involved with it and found out about it? Yeah, so actually I found out about the Climate Narrative Project last year through uh, a couple friends and um, mutual friends who are in the project and loved it. And I last year contacted uh, Jeff Biggers and asked him if I could apply. And he said, sorry, we 
have all the applicants we need, but I'll contact you next year. And I didn't actually expect him to actually contact me <laughs> this year, but he did. He emailed me and said, I remember last year you were interested. If you're still interested, feel free to apply. So I did. And um, basically, uh, I see the Climate Air Project as a project in which students uh, communicate environmental issues, but through uh, the arts or creative means. And what do you think is the significance of giving scientific arguments and problems an artistic approach? So I think scientific data is crucial to environmental issues, obviously, and I think somehow that can come across to the public as emotionless and uh, it there's less of an interesting way for the public to interact with that information. And so I think communicating that data in emotional or and by emotional, I don't mean like tears streaming down your face, like emotional as in there's emotion to it, uh, whether that be um, through video or audio or poetry, it just communicates these environmental issues that seem like data into human issues. Could you talk a little bit about your project in particular and what it will focus on? Yeah, so my project is, and I had this idea kind of from the beginning before I even applied. I just thought um, one thing I'm really interested in is digital media and its impact, particularly interactive impact on um, an audience. And so my project is I'm building a website. It's in... Uh, the format of like a digital magazine. So there's a cover and uh, different, you know, page one, page two, and different content. Except for the content, instead of just articles with, you know, a stagnant picture, the content, uh, I call it flash content because I'm doing all this whole project myself one semester. So there are short uh, clips of videos, there are GIFs, and uh, there are audio and the content is varied. Some of it is humorous, uh, some of it less so, but I, the goal of it for me is to introduce the topic of regenerative cities and more importantly, maybe why we need regenerative cities in a way that is uh, very accessible to a broad audience. So is this uh, project that you plan on continuing to work on and pursue after you're finished with the Climate Narrative Project? Yeah, so it's a little tough for me. I am very interested in environmental humanities, which, and I would love to do an environmental uh, environmental humanities grad program, but there are a few <laughs> right now. I, I think that will definitely grow, uh, especially uh, as environmental issues become more and more uh, or less easy to ignore. But uh, so absolutely, I, I'm really invested in environmental issues. However, I don't necessarily have the scientific database background. Uh, my background, I, I came in as an English major to the university because I wanted to write. And I realized, oh, almost everybody wants to write who's <laughs> an English major. And is that really like the only thing that I can do? And so uh, I added international studies, which kind of brought in this more challenging 
international approach to thinking about a ton of different issues and from there kind of narrowed down to uh, global resources and the environment. And I'm going on a tangent here, but <laughs> but in, in general, I'm, I'm interested in having multidisciplinary approaches to a lot of subjects, but one I'm very passionate about is environmental issues. So in the future, I'm hoping um, there will be grad programs that will uh, offer environmental humanity uh, programs. Yeah, However, now uh, it's very limited. Yeah, that's definitely an area where there's kind of a lot of demand, but not a lot of supply right now. I actually kind of went down a similar path where I started as a journalism major and then took a couple environmental classes and got really interested. So, um, how do you think the Climate Narrative Project will help you outside of school, or, and has it already? Oh, absolutely. There is a lot of uh, autonomy to it. Like, this project is decided by and, you know, produced and edited by me. And I have resources available, but you know, I'm making those appointments for, uh, you know, asking someone their opinion or getting... Ex I knew nothing about, for example, web design, but I, a big part of this project is creating a website. So I had to go and uh, find someone in the university whose expertise was creating websites and designing websites. And, you know, then I gained... A bunch more information and I personally am a huge fan of of just learning as much as you can no matter whether I'm uh, going to be amazing at it so it's really great for me because I have never uh, produced an edited video but again that's a huge part of my project and that's something a skill that I'll take away and have the opportunity to struggle through by my by myself with my own uh, means to find help but so i guess ultimately uh, the climate narrative project will help me in a very broad sense have an idea and then see the idea through to a final product You've kind of touched upon this already, but could you talk about the process of the project through the semester and how that works? Yeah, so we meet once a week for a workshop, it's called, and so far, the whole first part of the semester, we are just learning about regenerative cities, because this isn't a topic all of us have chosen, and maybe it's not one that we have a, a breadth of knowledge of. But so the first uh, part of the semester, really, every week we come in and learn about a new topic. And it goes by pretty quickly. We get a lot of information in each session. Uh, each time we meet, we probably meet for about two hours. And it's kind of nice. There are always snacks. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's very casual. But we, wa we both learn about the subject. For example, yeah, one example is... One week we learned about specifically different energy possibilities in cities, mostly focusing on the possibilities for renewable energy, solar panels and uh, wind farms and whatnot. And we not only learn the content, but also watch creative you know, videos or read poems about that subject and kind of critique it, like what worked, what didn't, what kind of audience is this reaching? So it's really a two, uh, it has two facets to it. There's the learning of the content, absorbing that content, and then 
at critiquing how other people have relayed that content to the public. So it sounds like in some ways it operates uh, pretty similar to a classroom, but kind of more engaged. Yeah, I would say it's very similar to a class. It's in a small, intimate class, though. They're only, uh, they're, they're, you know, it's not a lecture hall. So it's, right. it's nice, though, because we get to uh, have conversations with each other and really delve deeper into these issues and the diverse opinions we all have about them. So if someone was interested in learning about some of the individual projects going on or just the climate narrative project as a whole, uh, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so one great way to uh, learn more information about the Climate Narrative Project is, well, I guess first we have a website, and uh, that's a great way to learn about what fellows there have been in the past, what subjects there have been in the past, and then what projects each fellow has completed. And if you in person want to know more about what type of projects we do and what the a climate narrative project is like. We have an end of the semester uh, showcase of all of our projects. And I cannot tell you that date off the top of my head right now, but I'm sure Jeff can. What would you say has been your favorite part of the project so far? Besides the snacks, probably, I really do like the fact that this is one subject, but there are so many different ways to approach it and every person in the room has a different sort of expertise but also a different perspective on how that information can be relayed and the different opportunities that are available and I'm a huge fan of just diversity for everything I think it makes everything better diverse opinions diverse people and uh, I'd say that's my favorite thing about this project so far we have so many uh, great people, so many other fellows that have great expertise and uh, great opinions, and I learn more each time I go into one of our workshops. Yeah, it seems like a project that probably isn't offered in very many locations, at least in this form, so it's a very unique opportunity in that regard. All right, well, I think you have answered all the questions that I had for you, so uh, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Biowa. If you enjoyed today's episode, please also check out our blog at iowaenvironmentalfocus.org, where we cover environmental research and news every day of the week, or feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Until next time, from the UI Center for Global and Regional Environmental Research, I'm Jake Slope.